All right, here we go. It's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. I'm Chris Hart. I'm Gary Dickman. What's up, everybody? What's up, Chris? All right, and uh, we are the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. A lot to go over. Actually, uh, Live Golf is living on with Dustin Johnson. We'll get into that coming up. The match. It, it, I'm, I'm transitioning from golf into football with the match between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. That's going on today. People are witnessing a lot of bad golf. <laughs> some we got some stuff going on in the NFL. Of course, the NBA Finals Game One starting tomorrow. Where do we begin this radio show today? Well, I know we're interested in everything you just mentioned. I know everybody always is interested in UH football, and there's no big news that has come out, but I was just thinking about the last few days about Hawaii football and how good they were this past year or how good they might not have been on offense in the last several years, and I started thinking about quarterbacks, and maybe it was in, in my, on my mind because of Colt Brennan. They had a great tribute show with Rob DeMello and KH2 called Colt Brennan Legacy, and I was thinking about Hawaii football, so I started to look back at quarterbacks for the last 23 years. And we know that Colt Brennan is Colt Brennan. I mean, nobody will ever surpass what he has done. We've had a lot of other great quarterbacks, Timmy Chang, Nick Rolovich in there and others. So I went down the list year by year since 1999 of quarterbacks. I have some numbers through some of them. And I, I want to see what you think, and I'll give my opinion on who might be the most underrated quarterback during that stretch over the last 23 years. You go back to when June took over, and it was Dan Robinson, who I thought, you know, I'm not sure if underrated is the right way to describe him, but he was a good quarterback. Dan Robinson? Yeah. Mm. I I mean, you know, the 98 season was bad for everybody. But when June came in in 99, Dan Robinson had a really good year. I mean, there were a lot of players that contributed to that big turnaround, the biggest in NCAA history at that time. I I thought he was an above-average quarterback, to say the least. You go past that to basically from 2000 to 2004, it's mainly Nick Rolovich and Timmy Chang. Uh, Timmy Chang was the WAC freshman of the year in 01, I believe, and he was there forever, as we know. And we know how great those quarterbacks are. You go from after Colt Brennan in 2007, and that's when it gets really interesting, where we still had really good quarterbacks. It started mm, out with really good we still had really good quarterbacks after 2008? A few, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, yeah, yes, yes. And a couple, you know what? There's a couple, and I feel bad that I'm going to say my opinion in a way, but a couple that weren't that good. You're and paid get, to say your opinion, Dickman. Come on. I will. Get off the fence and say it. I will. As I go through the years, I will. That's okay. So after Colt <laughs> left us, we had Inoki Funaki, who was more of a running quarterback to me. I mean, he could throw, but he was a pretty adequate runner. In fact, his last year, he played specifically in on in 09. He got benched for Greg Alexander a little until he got hurt, and then Bryant Moniz, who we'll get into. But Inoki was a backup running back and played every game on special teams his last year. I had forgotten that. I didn't realize he got moved from the quarterback spot. It was a way to get playing time there. Greg Alexander, I thought, was actually a good quarterback, too. He got hurt with that, what? With that leg injury. What? You don't think he Greg was... Greg Alexander, I thought, was a good quarterback. I just said that. I, I know. Oh, okay. I'm repeating you because it sounds funny. It, well, I mean, he, if, I wonder what, how his numbers would have been if he didn't get hurt in that game. I think it was against oh. Tech that bad leg injury ended his career. I'm right. not saying he was one that of our best. That was unfortunate. Yeah, he wasn't. But you, but you said there are a lot of good quarterbacks, and I don't want to cut you off. Okay. So keep going. The next one is one of the good ones, and 
I wonder if Bryant Moniz might be almost underrated because I know he had one year of, I believe, 5,000 yards. I remember the touchdown run against Colorado in the season opener, like a 65-yard run. Bryant Moniz had some great numbers. I mean, he was way up there on the list. I don't know if we appreciate him the way we appreciated Colt and Timmy. And I think Brian nope. Moniz might be one of those underrated guys. And he was a very Bryant. good quarterback. Bryant Moniz. Brian. Okay, I thought I said. Uh, I thought he was. Uh, I don't know if he gets enough credit for what he has done. Uh, I don't know how you see that. He was on the team when they won, I believe, their last WAC championship. Uh, yeah, 2010. No, yeah. 2010. I want to hear who who the, all these good quarterbacks. I just were. gave you one in Bryant Moniz. Right, okay. and I'll agree there. Okay. Okay. You got Bryant Moniz, and that's it. Okay, well, hear me out, hear me out. Uh, a couple of things on Bryant Moniz in 2000. Maybe Cole McDonald. Sorry. Yeah, 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 you're right, that's one of them as well. Bryant Moniz, he was the number one quarterback in the country for passing yards in the country. Yes, you yes need, I know. I didn't, using high voice, you can't do it. The, anyway, you're not, you, you, Yes, but you're not giving anybody anything new. I think Bryant Moniz lived in the shadow of, it's tough because you're living in the shadow of Colt Brennan and Timmy Chang. Right. When Dan Robinson came out, oh, wow, look at Dan Robinson. Because we've never seen the run and shoot. No one else in the WAC had seen the run and shoot. Nobody was ready for the run and shoot. So Dan Robinson naturally um, had great numbers by default. The rest of the league was trying to keep up, right? So that's why Dan Robinson had that one great year. Then you have Timmy Chang come out in a great high school career. Timmy Chang was like Manti Teo staying home. Mm. Timmy Chang or, was, you know, the best quarterback in the state by far. And he decided to come to the University of Hawaii and play for seven years or however long <laughs> it was. Anyway, so you had Timmy Chang. It was great. He un- Unbelievable uh, records that he set when he was done. Unfortunately, one of them was the interception record. And that's the one he's waiting for someone to break. <laughs> yeah, right. He said that on our – remember he was on our show a couple of years yeah. ago. He goes, yeah, that one I'm waiting for somebody. They're breaking the other records, but it's like, <laughs> can someone break that record, please? Right. Um, and, and then you got Colt Brennan, who just took – you know, Colt Brennan was magic. Now, when you say we'll never have anyone like Colt Brennan again, I don't think there's any way that you can say that. Really? Our quarterback – you don't think you you don't think we'll ever have anyone that can throw sixty touchdowns in a year? I'd say the odds are against it. Yeah, that's, maybe. That's, oh, I sure. mean, what he did. Sure, sure. But you don't say we'll never have anybody like that again. Because that's all, exactly what you said. Yeah, it is, and I, I feel like that. Maybe I should have mm-hmm. said, in all likelihood, <clears throat> nobody will ever come close to those numbers, especially for those last two years. I think, yeah, I think with the way the direction that college football is going in, mm. I think it's going to be that 58, what was it, 58 that he had or 57 that he had? Yeah. I, think I don't know. It, it's not the record anymore. More and more people are going to get close to that. C.J. Stroud, I mean, you know, look at his numbers last year. You know, if someone can put together three years of what Colt, you know, it's it's not going to be that rare. Anyway, and I was it talking was about at the life. time. In yeah. 2007, yeah. June Jones was ahead of his time, right? Yo, of course. He, 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 you know, he he was doing this with the Houston Gamblers and the Detroit Lions. Was he with the Lions? Yeah. I know it was the Falcons and yeah. the Chargers. Barry Sorry, Sanders the always complimented his coaching. Oh, that's right, because he was an offensive coordinator. Right. He was an offensive coordinator over there. So, But he was doing that stuff way back then. Now, right. everybody's doing it, right? That's, that's what the NFL is, and that's what college football is. You have Brian Muniz come out, and he was great. Brian Moniz is the third best quarterback 
arguably, because you have to talk about Michael Carter, that we've had. A different type of quarterback than Michael Carter, different type of offense. But Brian Bonies is the third best he's the third best quarterback we've had. Cole McDonald was good. Um maybe threw too many interceptions a, a lot of times. Uh he got hampered by injuries. Yeah. What about you know, Rolo? There was a, Rolo was good for five games. And I, I, Rolo was good for five games. I know that stretch. He had those unbelievable numbers. We yeah. talked about that. But what was you, he doing before? He got benched because of a Timmy Chang. So you and I'm just asking to clarify. You have Brian Moniz ranked ahead of Rolo, and I'm not saying I don't. Of course I do. Okay. Okay. Look at the stats. Just go by stats alone. Okay. Okay. That's that's totally fair. I would fair. be curious what people think at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. If you're if you think that uh, that Nick Rolovich was better. Nick Rolovich was unbelievable for those four games. That's it. What I mean, he was good. Cole McDonald things. was good. Shevin Cordero was good. Heck. A couple more things on Bryant Moniz. In that one, on the year of 2010, uh, they, we played UC Davis and FCS school. He had seven touchdowns in the first half, <laughs> in the first <laughs> half of that game. Also, Who did we it, play? It was Davis. You, uh, Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. an FCS goal. <clears throat> yeah. Now, in 2011, he was having a really good year. He had 22 touchdowns, only five interceptions. That when he had, that's when he had the leg injury on November 12th and missed the rest of that season. You know, he had the year of 5,000 yards. I wonder what kind of numbers he could have put up if he had that complete season in his last year. And I know there were about three games left, maybe four, including the bowl game, I guess. But he, he, I, I still think of him as maybe underrated, maybe just – because it's been a while ago now, but you already said how you think of him, and I agree, I agree. But when I look at the quarterbacks, I think some of us might forget how special Bryant Moniz was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to answer that or comment on that because I, I've always thought of our right. big three at quarterback, our big three, our big four. Our big four at quarterback are Mount Rushmore, Chang, Brennan, Moniz, Carter. Cannot, you, I mean, you can debate it, but I don't think you can say that. Who are you going to debate it with? Who are you going to debate it with? Uh, Rolo, because he had a good stretch at the end of the season. But I, or is that, to... or is that Chad Owens? Uh, who was really responsible for that? Well, you, if you're going to say it was Chad Owens, you could say, well, Devon Bass and Ryan Grice Mullins had to do with a lot to do with Colt's success. And I'm not saying no, that, because but... Colt had success with Ian Sample. Come on, give me a break. Oh, Chris, come on, Dickman, and you are hot you're today. Gonna, you bring, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you Gary Low Hanging Fruit Dickman. Come on. Okay. Come a few, on. A few more on this. You Let's go to bring two, it. The audience is listening. They want you to bring it. Okay. 2012. Sean Troder comes in. Oh my gosh. 11 touchdowns. You, you didn't even mention. You mentioned Sean Schroeder. Well, I'm going down the list of every year. Okay. Uh he he's not he wasn't underrated. Although he had a better senior season and he took you know a beating. What? Yeah. I, I think that Sean Schroeder deserves the – if we're going to give out Purple Hearts, Sean Schroeder deserves one in football. Right, right, yeah. You know, he deserves the football Purple Heart. Because that guy wasn't talented, but, boy, he tried hard. Yeah, he definitely did. In 2014, we had Ikaika Woolsley, who did struggle. The team was only 4-9 and nine that year. How about this, though? In that year, uh, 2015, excuse me, Max Wittick, the transfer from USC, had some <laughs> starts. 
Hawaii as a team. I still year. have his phone number. Should we call him? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you could. Um, Hawaii Max, was three. Max Wittick was. Max Wittick, it was, uh, he was at USC, and he was, you know, he transferred to Hawaii because he, he got beat out. Right, right. And he, and he was supposed to be really good. But you know what? I don't know what happens to some of these guys, Tate Martell and these guys, mm-hmm. who are so good in high school and so bad when it comes to college football. Right, right. But I'm not going to say Max Wittick was bad, but he wasn't that good. He I wasn't that good on the, on the group of five level. I wonder if it would have been different for him if he had better help and better coaching around him. He was in the Norm Chow era, and I'm not trying to put down Norm, but, I mean, they were 0-8 in conference that year. They only had 12 touchdown passes for the season. Hawaii yeah. had 12 touchdown passes, less than one a game in wow. 2015. That wasn't that long ago. Those were the dark days, I guess you could say. After yeah. that, you get Drew Brown, and I know a lot of people weren't happy on the way, the way he left. But on the field, I would say he – I don't know if I would call him necessarily underrated, but I think he had some real success there that people appreciated when he came on the scene, but then when he left, people kind of forgot about that and really criticized him really since then for being close to his family in Oklahoma. Yeah, I think they criticized him because he left – he was a starting quarterback and he left the team. And it was just – it makes you look bad when your starting quarterback leaves the team. It's why people were hurt when Chevin Cordero left. But, you know, I don't know. I just have memories of being up at UNLV, watching him trying to win the t- win the game by throwing like seven times in the end zone. Like, not seven times, four times, whatever it was. Incomplete after incomplete after incomplete. And I said, right. good riddance. Yeah. You know, it was, it was nice to have you here, but, <laughs> you, you know, Go take your ordinary self and go sit on the bench at Oklahoma State. Because that's really what it was. That's what he did, yeah. And it was, it was weird how he left. Nobody can deny that. Because, you, like you said, you're the starter. It seemed very unusual. Uh, but he did have some success on the field. After Drew Brown, then we go to Cole McDonald and Chevin Cordero. Of those quarterbacks that I have mentioned, I, and, again, I know this might sound a little weird, but I'm going to go with Bryant Moniz as maybe the most underrated. Because, again, I just don't think he's appreciated. And he had unbelievable season and who knows how 2010 or 2011 excuse me would have ended if he was able to play that full season one thing it shows is that we've I, I do think that we have had some really good quarterbacks over that 23 year stretch if I had to rank them in order of course it's Colt Brennan Timmy Chang uh, Michael Carter was before that but I would probably go with Rolo um, after Moniz and then you know the only person I can put on there after that is Cole and Chevin. We had that stretch, and again, Sean Schroeder gave it his all, but between him and Ikaika Woolsey and Max Wittick, those were some really tough quarterback years, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons maybe even attendance started to drop little by little because we didn't have the exciting run and shoot that was putting up points. We, it was one of the few times we didn't have a quarterback who could carry a team on his own because really for the 20 years before what? that when was it when was the first time say that last line okay in that stretch with Ikaika, sean schroeder max wittick we didn't really have none of those guys were a quarterback that could maybe carry a team to victory where you know if you had colt brennan or brian moniz or some of the others timmy chang rollo if you're down by six or seven in the fourth quarter you still had confidence because those guys could get it done they could they were that clutch and i know the other guys tried their best and maybe just a talent disparity but those were some dark years for the quarterback's uh, position Kaika Woolsey just I, I don't want to say he was bad but I'm not going to say he was good and I'm not he sure was, if he, was he, he wasn't a very good quarterback what do you yeah. mean you're not going to say he was he wasn't a very good quarterback 
Yeah. You know, he yeah. tried his best. We appreciate it. We salute you for the effort. But he wasn't the, one of the top 20 quarterbacks in UH history. No. Not even close. Out of those quarterbacks for the last, again, 23 years, who would you have as most underrated? Well, we can talk about that and take okay. some texts coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. All right, get in on the action here. 808-296-1420. Here's a text. It says, all UH QBs are great. I was a good QB at times growing up in Sandlot games on the mainland. When I was at UH, I saw Thad Reese firing the pigskin around the Holly Wainani courtyard like he was on the football team. Thank you very much. A text from the 781. I'll have to disagree that not all QBs are great at UH. Uh, question. Oh, is this for, is this a Kanoa Leahy text? Which one am I reading? I'm reading Kanoa Leahy's That was text. from Kanoa's show earlier. Well, let's read Kanoa's text, too. <laughs> yeah. Is there an audio now phone number that I can call to listen to ESPN 1420? I don't think so. You can get an app, though, and listen to it on the sideline Hawaii app. Uh, da, da, da. And uh, here's the, uh, another one. Um, that's to Kanoa. <laughs> <laughs> All UHQBs are great. I don't have, you know what? I lost some of my app. My app is acting up. Let me give it another shot. Okay, here we go. Um, Keanu texts in. He says, Rolovich was throwing to Lalee and Craig Stutzman in that stretch, not Chad Owens. Come on. Get your facts straight. And that comes from Keanu Lockwood. Uh, Keanu, you'll have to get your facts straight because Chad Owens was a freshman that year and had an especially uh, great game against uh, BYU on national television, catching two touchdowns. Now, Ashley Lalee, um, you know, Ashley Lalee was, you know, of course, uh, in the 2001 team and did very, very well. Uh, he had a couple of touchdowns. I'm just looking at that BYU game. And um, Craig Stutzman was good. Craig Stutzman was, you know what, you're forgetting, you should throw in Channon Harris because that guy scored a lot of touchdowns. But Craig Stutzman was good, but it wasn't Craig Stutzman lighting up the scoreboard. It was Ashley Lalee, and it really was Chad Owens from the get-go, back when he was number 82 Chad Owens. So please, Keanu. Get your facts right. <laughs> Get you. Get you. You sound like Keanu. Nobody on pizza's the hut. <laughs> he also Another... texted in about that. Oh, Did you see his other text? Moniz was better than Rolo, somebody said. Uh, Keanu says, Moniz had an amazing junior year because he was throwing to Salas and Kealoha Polares. And they had Alex Green in the backfield. Rice Pollard also had 900 yards receiving. You know, in a June Jones-led offense, 900 yards receiving is pretty good. You're a good number three. That's really what it is. So, um, and and they were fine. Alex Green, of course, a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, Kealoha Polares, you know, yeah, great. Greg Salas, good. Uh, But that's not why, you know, maybe Bryant Moniz and the run and shoot made – these quarter these receivers what they became catching a lot of balls well somebody's got to throw those balls as peyton manning famously uh really i don't know if he said it or just hinted at it 
Peyton Manning made receivers great. There's a lot of receivers that you'll see uh, for, oh, I don't know, somebody like the uh, the uh, New England Patriots, right? Oh, they're great when they're playing for the Patriots and Tom Brady. Then they get the big free agent deal somewhere else, and you never hear from them again. More right. often, the quarterback makes the receiver rather than the receiver making the quarterback. And that's a fact. Which leads me to Tyree Kill in Miami now because he had Patrick Mahomes, and I hope he does well with Tua, but I wonder what his numbers are going to look like compared to what he put up in Kansas City the last three years. Well, I think they've got a, a Mike. What's the coach's name now? The guy Mike from San Francisco. Michael McDaniel. Michael McDaniel. I think he's the right coach to make something happen. The guy's creative enough. I think he'll be fine in Miami. Maybe he's not doing it exactly the same way in Kansas City, but that's a subject for another time. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, let's see. All QBs are okay. And then he says, and I say all Punahou quarterbacks are not great. Ooh, Bazinga, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> that'll Thank show you. you. Very much. That'll, that'll, thanks for texting in at 808-296-1420. We'll be back on ESPN Honolulu. You know what? I, I got to start I got to start this off. I got to eat a little crow. Keanu was uh, actually right about Chad Owens. Chad Owens was on the team, but against BYU, those weren't receiving touchdowns. He had a punt return and a 100-yard kickoff return in the first quarter. So he was on the team and he was, you know, he was a special team. Chad Owens actually for his career, he didn't really it was really his junior year where he had, like, 1,100 yards receiving, and his senior year, almost 1,300 yards receiving. It was his um, senior year. He had five touchdown, um, he ran back five touch uh, kickoffs for touchdowns, and, no, five punt returns for touchdowns, and... Yeah, it was the punt returns. And I think he had a couple kickoff returns for touchdowns in his senior year. Anyway, uh, yeah, it, I was, it seems to me like Chad Owens was always really great. And I guess it was from 2001, you knew that any time he touched the ball, he was a weapon, right? Right, right. But he did not become a big receiver until 2003 and then finally in 2004. I mean, he had a magical uh, senior season for University of Hawaii. I mean, uh, 22 touchdowns total um, for Chad Owens his senior year. That's pretty That's special. A lot. That is pretty special. Yeah. But anyway, so I just wanted to uh, get that right. Keanu, you're right. Most of the uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to correct him a little bit, though. I'm not – I don't think that Craig Stutzman had all the touchdowns I think it was Shannon Harris who would have been your number two receiver on that team, okay. and then uh, and then also uh, Ashley Lee, of course, who was a you know first round draft choice. But thank you guys for texting in at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. Any other ones? Uh, as far as text, nothing in the last couple of minutes on that. I, I just want to um, see if you could, if you want to answer that though. Who would you have as far as those list of quarterbacks that I read? Do you think anybody on that list is underrated, that we didn't appreciate enough, that might 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 have been better than we remember? I don't think we in I don't think we appreciated Sean Schroeder enough. Not that he was better than we thought, because he wasn't. He didn't have a lot of great players around him, but you know they should have an award that they give internally 
after every who played their guts out, whether you won or lost, who went out there and left it all out on the field, who broke their back and came back to play with a broken back, right? Yeah. Who is that right. guy from game to game? Enough of the, you know, the. I never really got the sledgehammer breaking the rock in the locker room. It was like it just seemed dumb. <laughs> just my opinion. It I don't know. Maybe, I agree. It was different. It was just like really uh, we're breaking a, a anyway. It's like okay, it's a road game. Now we got to carry. So who's going to carry the sledgehammer? Who's going to carry this big heavy rock? Anyway, I think that Sean Schroeder should be appreciated more. I don't think. I don't think that. Um, I don't know that. He's a guy that's better than we thought. He is who we thought they were. I'm just saying that Sean Schroeder is, you know, he left it all out on the field. Yeah, he was good. I mean, that's a good choice. I mean, there's no wrong answer, of course. I, I, I would say he and Bryant Moniz, I think, in that, in that scenario there. Um, and Schroeder's last year, I remember a couple of the comeback wins. And, again, they didn't win many games during that stretch. Uh, but he had some games against Fresno State where he just brought the team from behind. And he was still getting beat up at the time. I mean, he got beat up from his first game. I think that was a USC game on the road. I don't know how many times he got sacked, but it was kind of a lot. But I think his last year he actually had a couple of victories that they kind of they came back from behind to win. So I think he'd be a good choice as well. And, again, I just had Moniz on there. But I, I still think, though, in that stretch of quarterbacks for that, again, two decades, we had some pretty special guys. Cole McDonald had a lot of successes last year. I mean, we know oh, that. Oh, sure. And that yeah. wasn't that long ago. I, I think we kind of got almost, you know, spoiled with some of the great quarterbacks we had in the early 2000s and then Colt. And then after that, I mean, who was going to be able to live up or repeat those numbers that those guys brought us? And it's hard to do that. But I, I think Cole McDonald was really good. And Chevin had some good numbers. He came in for relief for Cole a few times in one game. And I think, you know, well, last year he had it okay. But, again, that was everything was so messed up last year. I think in 2020, uh, Chevin probably was better. But last uh, last year with Bo Graham and Todd, it just nothing was really working out. It was kind of the perfect storm for lack of success, even though they finished almost at 500. Yeah. But I, I mean, Cole McDonald had um, – Cole McDonald, really he played for – I'm not going to count uh, 2017, but 2018 and 19, the guy threw for 8,000 yards, right? 8,000 yeah. yards, 70 touchdowns. He was pretty good. I mean, his quarterback rating was – uh, for those two years, 146.8. He also ran for 880 yards mm. in those two years. Um, he uh, ran for 12 touchdowns. So in two years, he had uh, 70 touchdown passes and 12 rushing touchdowns. He was pretty special. Uh, he got hurt. Remember, there was some kind yeah. of eternal thing that happened. Right. And then it was just weird. It was kind of weird where it's – and you know what? I'm no Division One football coach. And Nick Rolovich was, but, you know, he used to take him out. You know how to treat everybody, right? You're not going to treat everybody the same, you know? So it's like he'd have a bad stretch and he'd bench him. And then Cordero would come in, and then all the people would be like, oh, the local quarterback. <laughs> Got to have the local quarterback. I don't care if who's good or not. I don't care who's good or not. I mean, I don't care who's local or not. Whoever's the best quarterback should play. But it was seemed like people were rooting for Shevin, and Shevin – was magical when he came into those games and saved, you know, come from behind victories and things. But I think that messed with Cole, Cole McDonald a little bit. And we actually heard them talking about that, how it kind of messed up Chevin Cordero as well, mentally and emotionally. These guys are pulling for each other 
when you got the fans who are splitting them apart. Oh, this guy's better than this guy. I'd rather have this guy than this guy. Uh, you know, it's they pay attention, believe me. Yeah, they pay Ro- attention, and they pay attention to social media. Exactly, and Rolo had told us that, you know, off not only was off the record, we didn't say anything on the air that at that time, but I think we said it right after, but he said it was affecting them, and it was from social media, specifically from social media with all the people, you know, with their brave comments, you know, with a fake name and everything, and apparently it did get to them a little bit, which is really sad in itself. One more note on Sean Schroeder real quick. I mentioned his first year, 11 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, but his senior year, a lot better. He, he went from 1,800 yards to 2,860, and his touchdowns were 28 and only four. Well, he had 14 interceptions. So a 2-to-1 ratio there compared to basically 50-50 the year before. He improved a Who lot. Who are you talking about? Sean Schroeder. From no. his junior year to his senior year, his last year here was much better. It was 29-60, actually, with a yard, almost 1,100 yeah. you know yards what? more. I'd have, to, I'd have to look at the schedule. You know, I mean, they play the same uh, league schedule, but I'd, yeah. I'd really look at game by game, you know, by, by throwing, what, 20 touchdowns and 10 interceptions? 28 that, and 14. Yeah, that's not good. It's that's better than 11 by, and 18. It, oh, I know, but it's not good by today's standards. No, 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 no. That's still, you know, throwing in, uh, over one interception every single game. But anyway, yeah. thank you for the stats. Okay. It, it was very, very interesting. Sing! Is that the one that Hall & Oates did, too? Didn't Hall & Oates... Hauling oats, hauling oats. Sounds like something. Fa- sounds like something farmers do. Hauling oats, uh, <laughs> hauling oats. Yeah, didn't they do when the morning comes? I don't know. They might have. They I'm did. A, a they did a call upon a song, and it's not. It's not an original. A lot of people think oh, it's wow. an original, and it was by uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Oh, anyway. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway, someone will text us the uh, correct info at 808-296-1420. So, this happened yesterday, and I didn't even realize this yesterday, but the LIV, L-I-V, it looks like Super Bowl L-I-V, but it LIV, L-I-V, the, um, the Golf Invitational Series, which is, um, you know, backed by Saudi Arabia. So, they have their London tournament coming up and dustin johnson was on the list of people who are going to go play in it which was really shocking because dj the former number one player in the world dj had come out earlier and said hey i'm totally 100 with the L- i'm paraphrasing 100 with the pga and you know what i bet they just they just keep offering these guys more money and uh, how much money? $125 million, something like That's that? That's what's being reported, $125 million that he's getting, yes. So how do you turn down $125 million? Right. How do you do that? You know, Dustin Johnson isn't getting any younger. But at the same time, you know, maybe his um, um, wife, who is Wayne Gretzky's daughter, maybe she's like, uh, hey, I want you to spend more time at home. Or maybe he's saying... I want to spend more time at home. Well, here's how to do it. Now, first of all, these live golf tournaments are only three days long. They're shorter. You're going to play faster because they have a shotgun start. You start on all the different holes. 
Not everybody oh. start at number one and just keep going throughout the day. So they're going to be faster. They're only three days. There's some kind of team aspect, which is kind of a lot of fun. And I don't think I can blame Dustin Johnson. He's won two majors. He's won a couple of majors. He's won 24 golf tournaments. And, um, you know, lately he hasn't been great. You know, he did win two years ago the Masters. But besides that, what has Dustin Johnson done in the last couple of years? Not much. No, but so I, I mean, if somebody offers you $125 million, now he, he lost one of his sponsors. He might lose more uh, because of it, because you're, you know, fraternizing with murderers. And that's what he's, uh, you know, that's what he's got to deal with. But I'm sure that RBC, the Royal Bank of Canada, wasn't giving him close to that kind of money. He's still making it out ahead. The $125 million, I'm assuming, is just for this season's eight events, which is crazy. I mean, you can't turn it down. Nobody should blame him, although the PGA might not be blaming him, but they're not happy. Now, one of my first thoughts when I saw his name was, what happens when he would like to uh, compete in a PGA event? The U.S. Open's coming up in, what, three weeks? Is he gonna, is, does he want to compete in that? I don't know what the other dates are for the live tournament, the season. I know London is like next week or eight or nine days from now, so next weekend. Uh, what right. about the U.S. Open? So what does the PGA do? They haven't just specifically said what they'll do to golfers that go with the Saudis. And they're going to probably do something, whether it's well, a, well, I don't think you can find have, them, but you can they have them. Spe- Gary, they have come out specifically and said it. They came out a couple of weeks ago and specifically said, if you join the Live Tour, don't come back to the PGA. Jay Monahan cons- has said that consistently, that, that you are not invited back. Now he's come out and said that. So when people like, uh, I think they were asking Rory McIlroy, and, um, you know, what do you think, how severely should they be disciplined by the uh, PGA Tour? And Rory says, well, I don't think they should drop the hammer. Look, they're all within their rights to enforce the rules and regulations have been set, but it's going to end up being an argument about the rules and regulations, blah, 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 blah. So even though Rory is strongly against joining the Live Tour, he's saying, you know, don't, don't, don't crucify these guys for it. But you know what? It's tough. Jay Monahan is, is trying to... Trying to trying to keep the PGA afloat. Now golf is enjoying its biggest popularity since the pandemic started. Pandemic in years and years. So when you have this other league, you know, say they want to take them to court. I don't know. It's I think and I think you're I think you can. I think because as it was explained to us a couple of weeks ago. The these guys aren't employees of the PGA Tour. The um, boxers are not employees of the WBO, WBC, IBF, and all the other um, alphabet soup leagues that are out there. They're all general contractors. Now, if you play in the NFL, you cannot go and play for the Canadian Football League, or or that doesn't make sense for the USFL. You can't play because you're an employee of a team in the NFL. You're an employee. You're not a general contractor. When you are um, in the UFC, you're an employee of the UFC. You're under contract by the UFC. Dana White owns your butt. 
So you can't go to a competing um, place to fight. And it's really why, you know, boxing is something. One of the reasons boxing is so messed up is because they're not employees of anything. But anyway, I don't know that you can limit somebody's by barring somebody from playing an event because they chose to play somewhere else. And if you want to go to court, Saudi Arabia has a lot more money than the PGA. So that would be dangerous right there. I don't know if they can do that if because it's from another country or how that works. But I don't know. See, when you're saying that the Saudis have a lot of money, I don't know if that would have anything to do as far as a, a court hearing because it would be the PGA in, not competing but against their golfers, not, about, not against the Saudis right. in court. But who's going to support them? If the Saudis – oh, you know what, uh, uh, Graham McDowell, you're going to sue him? Here's some money. We'll provide you the lawyer. You don't worry oh, about okay. a thing. We'll pay for your lawyer because we want all the other golfers to know that they can play on our tournament too. The, the Saudis w- want that to go through. The Saudi Golf League says, hey, you know what, if, you can, if, you, if, if there's some kind of motion that, you know, allows them to play in both, well, you're going to play in both. So you're going to have a former world number one go make $125 million for eight tournaments. And then uh, he'll come back and play in the big majors and other things on the PGA. And as fans, I love it. I love the, the fact that I, I love the fact that we get to watch. Now, is it bad, I guess, because it's Saudi Arabia and the country that, you know, the, all the bad things they do? Is it is it bad to want to watch this tournament on television? I'd like to watch it because I want to see how it works. They're right. re- doing it much differently with no cuts, 42 players, no cuts. There's a team aspect to it, a lot of money, life-changing money to be won in the tournament itself. So for a guy like this. I mean, there's, there's no reason not to want to watch this. So for a guy like Dustin Johnson, as an example, he gets $125 million, and then you get the prize money as well? Yeah. That's, that's, I, I, didn't even, I almost forgot about that because of the $125 million. It's an appearance million. fee. $125 <laughs> is the appearance fee. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Right? Yeah. Jack Nicholas is like, what? You only offered me 100 <laughs> Yeah. Now, the PGA released a statement uh, earlier today, and it says that members have, quote, not been authorized to participate in the Saudi Golf League's event and are subject to thus far unspecified dis- disciplinary action. Wow, okay. Because earlier he said, you know what, if you go, don't come back. And I hear, he I specifically that said that. Right. So maybe they, don't, maybe they don't have anything in writing and they're going to put something in writing. You see, the way it works is, even now, if I want to go play in another, I want to go play in something on the European tour. Rory McIlroy plays a lot of events on the European tour. So if he's going to go play on the European tour, he, you know, writes a letter, uh, you know, fills out a form to request off from the PGA that week to go play on that tour. And you're allowed a certain amount of exemptions per year. So the, the PGA says, okay, yep, approved, go ahead and have fun. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. So that's what they're doing. That's what that's what um, Dustin Johnson and Martin Keimer and Sergio Garcia, Charles Schwartzel, Graham McDowell, Louis Oosthuizen, and others have done. Uh, filled out the form, and they're saying, "Nope, not approved. Don't." That means don't go. Now they're saying, "We, we mean it. Don't go." <laughs> if you walk out that door, 
You want me to turn around and stop this car? Right? <laughs> They're doing all of that. And the, te- the teenager's still being a rebel. So I guess they're going to figure out formally what they're going to do. But if you're Jay Monahan and you're coming out twice and saying, if you join the Live Tour, don't ask to come back, right? If you walk out that door, right, yeah. they're doing it. And now they're saying, okay, uh, I'm warning you, second chance. If you walk out, if you get in that car, they've already walked out the door. If you, if you start that car up. If you drive out of here, I'm going to, right? But if Rory gets the exemption to do that, I almost I forgot about that part of it. Why is the PGA against these players joining the Saudi League? Are they just upset that maybe because they're terrorists, or are they afraid that they're going to steal the spotlight from their top golfers? Steal the spotlight from their top golfers. But would the European Tour do that if Rory has success? I, I would actually think that it would be There's would not enough for, guys. There's uh, not enough guys. You know, there's a few guys that will go play on the European Tour, but they all get together. You know, they're all kind of working together. Let me plan my dates around this, in, in, you know, and Rory is from there. So instead of Rory, he, he doesn't like to come to Hawaii. So in some of these ones, he's not going to travel from Ireland to Hawaii. It's just too far for him. So while everyone's playing in the Sony Open or they're playing on Maui for the century, he's over and playing in the European Tour, getting ready. Oh, okay. Wow, you know what the biggest shocker to me is? Now, here's some, um, these are some guys you might have seen on on, uh, PGA Tour events. Richard Bland is a guy who mostly, I think, plays on the European Tour. There was some tournament he was in like a year ago where he almost won, and he's probably close to 50 years old or something like that. And it was a great story, but a very popular, anyway, Richard Bland is uh is in this uh on the live tour here's some other names that have not been reported you got to kind of look at the website really is uh taylor gooch who was just out here for the sony open sergio garcia good riddance (laughs) i hope you stay remember he said i can't wait to get out of this tour right um some guys that i don't know dustin johnson matt jones from australia Martin Kamer we mentioned, Keimer we mentioned, Chase Kepka, which is Brooks Kepka's brother, is uh, on here. And I was shocked. Graham McDonald we mentioned, Louis Ustazen, Andy Ogletree. A lot of journeymen here. Not that, you know, Louis Ustazen is a journeyman by any stretch. But Ian Poulter is says, okay, you know what, I'll go play. I'm sure they paid Ian Poulter a lot of money. Lee Westwood who is a great story. His wife is his caddy. Bernd Wiesberger, you've seen on the, some PGA events. But the biggest shocker to me is Kevin Na. I'm a fan of Kevin Na because Kevin Na is just a nice guy. He's a guy that always has time for the fans. He won, uh, what was this tournament they just played this last weekend? Oh, oh boy. Whatever it was. It was a Charles Schwab something. So, the winner gets, you know, a gazillion dollars, but also the winner got a 1979 Firebird, and they give away, like, classic cars as wow. part of what you win as the first place. You know, it's it's so cliche to go, and you win a Cadillac right. or a Chevy Silverado or something like that. But in this case, they give you a classic car. I mean, it's something that belongs in a car show. It's beautiful. 
And so Kevin Na won that tournament. He gave the car to his caddy. I got a car. You can have it. I didn't hear that. Kevin Na. really cool. Yeah, Kevin Na at the uh, Sony Open. Before he tees off for the day, he's at hole number one, he already has a bunch of pre-signed autographed golf balls. And what his caddy does is he takes them out of a little bag and he goes up to all of the volunteers and hands them a Kevin Na autographed golf ball. Thank you for your volunteering. This is from Kevin. Thank you for volunteering. This is from Kevin. Really appreciate your time. Kevin wanted you to have this. Wow, you know, that's I so think cool. you know what the guy, that guy, just a cool dude. And you know what? I hope he comes back because he's the guy that invented walking in your putt, where you putt and it's not in the hole yet, but you're walking towards the hole to pick it out, pick it up out of there. He's, he's got a logo and everything for it. Oh, let Kevin Na. I don't care about any of these other guys. Let Kevin Na back in the PGA. Free Kevin Na. <laughs> Okay, so 42 golfers on this tour in each event. Let's say the average contract is, let's just for argument's sake, $100 million. And I know oh, it's you're not. Pretty, They're not well, paying okay. Kevin Na $100 million. No, no, I said the average. I mean, you have one guy making 125 maybe a lot will be making 75 Let's just throw out a round number for now. It might be less, of course, but okay. with all those golfers, and let's say $100 million or close to it on average, I know this is going to sound like a dumb question in a way, but the Saudis aren't make aren't doing this for a profit. They're not really going to make money on this, and they're just going to keep spending that kind of dollar amount. I know you always say they have endless amounts and it's, there's no limit, but that's a lot of money to be giving out. And I, mean, yeah. I know they'll probably get some TV revenue. I don't know if they get advertising, but, boy, that's a, that's a heavy payday on their end. And I know they can it's, afford it now, it, but that's still it's, a lot. It's, it's financed by the Saudi Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund. I can't remember the amount. It was something like five hundred billion dollars. <laughs> it's oil. It's, yeah, I know. It's just endless supply. I guess that's amazing. Yeah, money is no object. So we decide. So if money is no object, and you lose ten billion dollars a year, do you really feel it? <laughs> just I the thought of that question. You don't feel it. <laughs> you know, you and I, we are. And we don't like to brag, but maybe folks who are new to the show. They don't realize that you and I are self-made hundredaires. Oh, yeah. And you More know what? We, we lose a dollar a day. We don't feel a thing. <laughs> that's how stupid that, we are, yeah. That's like, that's like $5 a day for Keegan Ota, huh? <laughs> okay, so here's what's cool. Uh, this is basically the form, the live format. So you say that it is going to be on NBC. It's going to be on the Golf Channel. Itself. I guess NBC owns the Golf Channel, so it's at the Golf Channel and YouTube. Oh, cool. YouTube TV or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's 12 teams. There's 48 players, so that's four guys on a team. They play 54 holes. That's only three rounds. Um, there are no cuts, and they have shotgun starts. Faster, more exciting pace of play. If you're doing a shotgun start, you can get – you see, what they're right now if you watch a golf tournament on TV, you're getting either the morning or the afternoon group, right? Yeah. And then, you know, they try and make it for TV where, oh, make sure Tiger Woods is on during prime time, that kind of stuff. This one, you can film everybody, right? What they do on ESPN Plus is, I think, I don't know if they do this on anywhere else. They might. Uh, it stands out on ESPN Plus to me is you'll follow a certain group on the app. And you pick from what to be, you just follow that group. Well, this one, everybody's playing at one time. So if there's one group that's really bad, well, you don't have to really follow them. You can switch on to some other groups. 
but everybody is going to be playing at the same time. And then there's the, there's the individual um, aspect of it. And you have teams. So you're creating rivalries and things like that. It's, I think it's really well thought out. It sounds pretty cool. So if they have foursomes, it'll be 12 holes going on at once. 12 groups of four for the 48, I imagine. So you're going to have one through 12 and nonstop action the way you're describing it. I don't know. I, 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 I think I, 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 I don't on their website, livegolf.com, it doesn't get into that much of it. But is it bad? See, do you, should I feel guilty that I'm excited to watch this new form of golf tournament? Is it politically incorrect for people to watch this because of the history of the Saudi Arabian government? I don't think so, in my opinion, at least. And I, I'm obviously not a fan of them, but if they're in the Olympics, would we watch them? It's still a sporting event. It's not like the Saudi terrorists are going to be competing. They're just backing it up, which I know would rub people the wrong way, a lot of people. But out of curiosity, yeah. I'm well, going to watch it. I'm not going to feel bad about watching. Mm. Who's going to sponsor these guys, right? Right. And one thing I'm All of a also, sudden now, go ahead. I'm reading also this, they're going to have 250 million in purses, 20 million, as we kind of mentioned, I think, off the air before, for each individual component, and another 5 million to the top three teams at each event. It's 48 golfers, four 12, uh, four 12 man teams. And it starts That's a week what I just said. Tomorrow. What's the prize money, though? Uh, 250 what, no, no. million in purses with 20 for million for each individual tournament Two, winner. Two hundred fifty million for eight turn spread over eight tournaments. Yeah, I, I think it might even. I wonder if that's that can't be for one tournament. Yeah, it's twenty million for each winner, an additional five million for the top three in the for the top three teams at each event. So even though it, if, if week one is not the end of it, but whoever's in the top three, they get an extra five million as well, as far as the, the oh wow, team. that's a lot of money, and it starts a week from tomorrow. In London. Oh. And they go to the mainland, Oregon, okay. New Jersey. So, okay, so how much is, if I win this tournament at London, how much do I win individually? $20 million for starters. You uh, could also win another 5 For million. one person? Yeah, yeah. Wow. $20 million <laughs> purse? No. $20 million, it's a, it's, they're splitting, it's a $20 million pool, isn't it? No, I, I saw that in another list right before that, $20 million, $20 million, um, yeah, twenty million to go to individual for each event, for each event. Tw- wow. Yeah. Okay, you see why they left. <laughs> you yeah, see why yeah. someone like Dustin Johnson would leave. The last. You see place- Lee Westwood, who's going. You, I'm, do you see why somebody like Lee Westwood would come out at forty-seven years old and go? You know what? I might have a good year left in me. Uh, let me go play this, and and uh, you know, let me go play this, and see if I can take home twenty million from one of these events. There's only 42 players, and there's so many different ways to win millions in each tournament. And then you have the ongoing thing, or at the end of the year, it's like the FedEx points, right? I'm guessing that's what this is uh, for the team or whatever it is. I mean, you're competing for all of this great money. It's It's like playing club golf with your club on the weekend. Well, you can win, you know, whoever wins first place gets this amount of money. Whoever's winning... Uh, you know, uh, we've got skins, you've got greenies, you've got all kinds of things, all kinds of different ways to win money playing in a tournament. And you don't have, and you can win millions of dollars and never come first place once. That's got to be, that's got to have some appeal on these guys. 
Matt right. Jones, the golfer from Australia who I talked about, um, I don't know, he's probably won a couple of events, no majors or anything. But he says um, about being banned from the PGA, his quote was, I've thought about that, which is something I had to weigh. I don't think banning players is a good look for the PGA Tour or for golf in general. I hope there's a way we can work around it. And then he, but he goes on to say, but I'm very comfortable with my decision. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. And here's what, here's what catches me. I'm just excited to go play golf. I love to compete. And I've always loved playing golf courses all around the world. So not only do you have the money, but these guys are still competing professionally. It's not like they're just going to, you know, it's like they feel any different. Their competitive spirit, which got them to where they are in life, still gets they still get to go out and compete. And I think by playing against 42 golfers, there's no cuts. The last two tournaments we've had in the PGA Tour, the winners have come from seven strokes behind on day four. You can be seven right. strokes behind, not get cut, and go ahead and win a tournament. And by the way, it's $20 million. And if you finish, I'm, you know what? I'm actually surprised more guys didn't go. Maybe they will in time. I don't know if they can still join after it starts. If you finish in 42nd in last place, oh, you get 120000 sure Wow. As opposed to like 37000 yeah. I'm talking. As opposed to 37000 if you're last place in the Masters. That's a big difference. Big difference. Dustin Johnson last year was number, th- number three on the money list, and he got forty-four and a half million. Um, actually, he was number twenty. Me, he was number twentieth on the list last year, and he got forty-four million. He's getting one hundred and twenty-five million just for showing up this time. I mean, that's just right crazy. On. All crazy right, eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. Our number to text in. You can call if you want, but texting is pretty good. Uh, thank you for this text. It says the PGA is acting like a jealous girlfriend. How can you not want to play in this tournament? LOL. Thank you. Uh, got another one from the 781. The We're talking about the uh, golfers, the pro quarterbacks, and we'll get into that later, but the pro quarterbacks who are playing uh, in what's called the match. It says, it was those NFL QBs that started the uproar in the golf world. Imagine what will happen when Lady Gaga goes against Justin Bieber in a billion-dollar match play event. Thank you for texting that in at 808-296-1420. Somebody else says uh, he's got some info on Google that says this says 25 million purse per each tournament. Winner gets 4 million. Okay, that's what I thought you told me earlier during the break. Okay. The $25 million purse means that 25 million is split amongst all the people. But I'm thinking... Twenty-five million? Why so cheap? In one, two articles I read, it says twenty million for the winner, and the five million would go to the first place and the team for the teams. So the top three places, as far as the team after each tournament, uh, even though you didn't win it overall for the whole league, but for each tournament, you still get five million for that. You know, it's funny if the live golf tournament, if the live golf. Uh, series a live golf league or whatever and uh if it ends up prospering i wonder how many people in this country all of a sudden there's an explosion in youth youth golf 
There was an explosion in youth golf when Michelle Wee started winning as a, you know, playing PGA events at the age of 12 or 17, whatever it was, right? Everybody in Hawaii started having their kids play golf. When Tiger Woods broke onto the scene in the late 90s, youth golf exploded. I wonder, because you know how everybody, you know, um, you got parents who, you know, all their kids deserve scholarships and playing time and all of that, right? We talked about this with Keith Amemia yesterday about, you know, going to summer camps and the expectations some of the parents have on their children. And, uh, you know, so it becomes, you know, after we have coaches getting punched out in the parking lot because their kid didn't play enough, right? right because yeah. my kid needs to get a scholarship. Well, I wonder how many people in this country go, wait a minute. They're offering $25 million, They're offering $4 million for every tournament win. If you come in last place, you get 120000 Plus, there's ways that you can earn $5 million a week, and then there's these $50 million for the winning team at the end of match play. It's just it's basically $255 million spread out over eight events. I wonder if that makes more people go, wait a minute, maybe I should rethink this. Let me avoid the concussions and the hospital bills. And have my kid play golf and one day play on the live tour. It's got to increase it. I don't know to what extent or to what amount, but it's got to increase it, I would think. Especially when you're having some of the big names like a Dustin Johnson. I think yeah. that, doesn't that add a Dustin, lot more credibility? Dustin, I, I don't know. Is Dustin Johnson a big name still? If you follow golf, it is. To, to, to me, it's uh, Al Horford. Al Horford joined another league. Oh, really good player. He's a good player, not an all-star. To me, you got to be in the top ten. And that's where all the young golfers are starting to, you know, make their move. That's where your 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 Cam Smith and uh, Patrick Cantlay and Scotty Scheffler and, you know what I mean? Those are your top golfers. Oh, he's a name. Al Horford's a name. But he's not an all-star. Well, not now. I think he has been before. When Who? he was on Atlanta, Hal Hartford. He'd been an all-star when he was on Atlanta, I believe. Right, and Dustin Johnson's a former number one player. But he right? won the Masters two years ago. That's not that long ago. Yeah, but so did, uh, what's his name? Chase Willett, Bob Willett. You ever heard of that guy? He won the Masters. Yeah, but I think Dustin Johnson. I mean, he's, is... won, he's won, Dustin Johnson has won two majors. He's won 24 tournaments. What I'm talking about, and what you're saying is, and it's and it's okay for you to come up with this perspective. You have to understand, you are a New York Mets fan. They do nothing but pick up washed-up players after their prime. Dustin Johnson's not in his prime anymore. I don't like that comparison. <laughs> you don't like the comparison? The, the analogy didn't quite match, it, but it, I know your it point. Hur- it, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts, but you know it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That, that's true. It hurts, and it is true. Yeah, you're right about that. But Dustin Johnson, seriously, is it? I mean, he's a bigger name than Willett or, or Al Horford, I think. I mean, he wasn't he number one in the world like a year or two ago? Yeah. So he that's was. a lot more prestigious. Yeah, he was a, a, a year or two ago. Is that what you said? Wasn't it two years when he won the Masters? Wasn't he number one then? I, in 2020? I'm, I might be off by a year, but I, if he wasn't number one, he had to be top three, I would imagine, right? Yeah, maybe I'm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look. I don't know, and you could be right, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my opinion. But I mean, he is, I guess, the most famous name of these. I don't know. Sergio Garcia has won a number of events. 
Sergio is a big name, but we kind of figured he was going anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're not surprised. That's why Dustin and how we started this off a while ago is that Dustin Johnson had just come out and said, I'm 100% PGA. And then I think they added another $25 million or something onto that. He went, yeah, okay. Now that he's married, he just right? got married like, like a that... month ago. He needs some money. Oh, he just got married? They they just, just they've been engaged together? for years. Yeah, they just got married like a month ago. Oh, that's funny. They were engaged, they were engaged for like 10 years. It was a long time. It was probably at least five, six, seven years, if not longer. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, hey, we're going to switch. Let's talk some Major League Baseball with Bob Nightingale. That's coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Starting well. Major League Baseball is in the summer stretch right now. It is June. A lot of things going on on and away from the field. We're going to break it down now on ESPN Honolulu as we are joined by USA Today Major League Baseball columnist Bob Nightingale back on the show. And, Bob, you know, I think nowadays I don't think anybody anything would ever shock me with what's going on around the world. I didn't expect what took place over the weekend, though, where two MLB players, Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson, especially on fans, and got into it because of fantasy football. What was your take on that whole situation from last week? Yeah, I mean, every, football, every baseball player pretty much plays fantasy football. I never heard of a dispute over it. And uh, so talking to the players and, uh, involved and uh, uh, their former teammates in San Diego and Atlanta, this thing had been uh, stirred up pretty good last year. In fact, Jack Peterson didn't even leave the uh, – uh, the clubhouse in Atlanta when they played the uh, Padres last year because they didn't want to see Pham on the field. So it was like a growing resentment thing. And uh, so, yeah, you know, remember the Padres kind of collapsed. We made it like a, a joke about the Padres collapsing. So, yeah, he was hot. And just nobody, <laughs> nobody knew about it until he, you know, slapped him in the face. I have heard, I guess, rumors because nothing's been verified and there's been all different dollar amounts, but I've seen anywhere from every player pay 25000 to to 100000 maybe more. It seems like there was a lot of money, and I guess that would make sense with what baseball players make these days. Have you heard a dollar amount, though? It was 10000 10000 uh, entry fee. Okay. Now, I don't, know, I don't know what it was for, uh, you know, like you win each week or, you know, waiver, waiver claims, that sort of thing, but, but it was $10,000. Okay, that, that's a little bit more reasonable, I guess. Still a lot of money, right, though. Right. We are talking Major League Baseball with our guest, Bob Nightingale, from USA Today Sports with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Has there been an update or any more information on Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres on when he might make his season debut? There's more optimism now. You know, I think before it was like, okay, probably sometime after the All-Star break. Now I think, okay, he's about ready to start to, you know, hit and at least uh, hold a bat and that, and that sort of thing. So here we are on uh, June 1st. So I think there's a, uh, you know, uh, optimism now that maybe this can happen before the All-Star break, maybe by the end of the month. Uh, I don't think anybody thought before it was going to happen before July. But, you know, we may see it in a few weeks. With what the Padres have done so far this season without Tatis, 30-19 and 19 going into today's game, three and back of the Dodgers, do you think a player like that would give them enough where they might actually compete all season long for that first-place finish in the NL West? You know, I do, Gary. I mean, you know, last year we were, everybody was kind of primed up to see that, and then the uh, Dodgers and Giants took off and left the Padres in the dust. 
Madres had a you know epic collapse where they even finished over a 500 record. Uh, but yeah, they got the pitching. I know they just got beat up by the St. Louis Cardinals, but they got the pitching and everything else. Uh, you know, you got that piece back, and that's huge. And they've had kind of a huge hole in that infield. Uh, you know, and the Dodgers just you know lost you know first two games at Dodgers Stadium against the Pirates. They're having some pitching problems. You know, Kershaw. You know, they, they you know originally they said Kershaw would be back in two weeks. I kept hearing six weeks, and I think it will be six weeks. Uh, so he won't be back until the end of the month, I don't think. So no, I think I think the division is right for the taking. I think the Padres do have a shot. And yeah, the Dodgers seemingly are having problems with Pittsburgh t- this week and a couple of weeks ago as well. Kind of uh, interesting there. You know, I, I saw something a few weeks ago. Speaking of the Dodgers, Bob, where they had a, uh, where, I'm not sure who they were playing, but there was a runner on second base, and Kimbrel, the re- uh, the closer for them, actually balked the run of the third base. On, pur- on purpose so that they couldn't steal signs for second base. I understand a few years ago, I guess with Dave Roberts, the manager in both cases, they did that with Kenley Jansen as well. Is that something that has been happening, and do you think that's the right way to approach it, to balk a runner over because the fear of stealing signs? Well, we've seen that a few times over the last few years. But the thing at Gary, now they have that thing called, you know, with the uh, computer chip, you know, where the, uh, the pitcher has an earpiece on, and the catcher can uh, touch his uh, wristband and signal what pitch to do. So if you do that, you know, there's no reason. Uh, it's called pitch.com. Uh, you know, if you do that, there's no reason to uh, worry about stealing signs because only the catcher and the uh, pitcher know what's going on. So that's supposed to start to alleviate that. You know, maybe they don't use that. Uh, at least Kimball doesn't use it. A lot, of, a lot of teams do. Even the Cardinals started doing it with Yadier Molina. So uh, we saw enough of that. But this is supposed to speed up the game by using that stuff because you don't have to change signs or you don't have to have a bunch of trips to the mound every time there's a runner on second base. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of bizarre. That was the first time I saw it, but like you said, I've read that it has happened more frequently, and I guess mainly with the Dodgers as far as that situation. I want to ask your opinion on this. I haven't really heard this discussion, but Shohei Otani doing it all for the Angels and they're having a really good season. In your opinion, Bob, is he a better pitcher or a better hitter? Yeah, great, great question. You know, originally when he came over, I said, okay, he's going to be a pitcher. Everybody wants a pitcher. But he's so dynamic as a hitter and with the power and the speed in the outfield. You know, I'm always be tempted to, uh, you know, use him as an uh, everyday player and maybe pitch a relief if you need to. Uh, do it that way. I just think, a, uh, you know, when he's DH and that sort of thing, uh, it takes away his athleticism. I mean, the angel people will tell you and several scouts that he's their best outfielder. He's their fastest uh, base runner. He's their best base runner. It's almost like you limit him as a DH, uh, you know, put him, put him out there in the, uh, in the outfield. So I think at some point, you know, I'm sure if there's ever a, an arm injury, uh, particularly a serious one, then it's like, okay, enough of the pitching. You know, maybe pitching relief sometimes, like a Michael Lorenzen used to with the Cincinnati Reds, but you're going to be an everyday player. You can follow Bob Nightingale on Twitter at B Nightingale. He joins us with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu, talking Major League Baseball. One of the I look at the box scores every night, and one of the things I always look at is when the Oakland Athletics are at home, how many fans are there. Yesterday it was about 3,400. I saw a video right before the opening pitch today against Verlander and the uh, uh, Houston Astros, and it was so empty. 
what's going to happen? I can't imagine how much money they're losing with the lack of ticket sales. And I also understand it's kind of an unofficial fan boycott where they're upset with the owners so they're not showing up. But it looks embarrassing, to say the least, with what's going on there. Yeah, big time. I think today, yeah, that's that video, too. And I think it was supposed to be announced 5,000 fans, but there was no way there were 5,000 fans there. <laughs> so you're yeah, absolutely right. Uh, I want to say the vote is June 12th, but sometimes it's in mid-June as far as, you know, what to do, whether they're going to go ahead with the project or not. They're talking about $12 billion. It's not like a billion-dollar project. So we'll see. It's almost like Oakland's doing everything possible, or these, you know, the A's officials, to make sure they're in Vegas. Uh, you know, mm. I think I think we'll know a decision here by the end of the season, what, what's going to happen. But, yeah, they raised the season ticket prices. Uh, there's lack of promotions and everything else. It's almost like they're telling the fans, you know, obviously dropping the payroll like they have. It's almost like telling the fans, please don't bother showing up here. Uh, I think they're going to end up in Vegas. Yeah, and I know they're struggling this year, you know, in the wins and loss column, 20 and 32. But usually they've been in the mix for a playoff, at least, and they have made it several times years ago. But, yeah, to see those numbers, pretty sad, I guess. You know, we keep hearing, I guess it makes sense, that in the American League, Aaron Judge, as of now, would be the MVP. In the National League, I can make an argument for Pete Alonzo. I think he's got 47 RBIs, hitting about 265, uh, 13 homers. But I know Mookie Betts has had not only a great month, but a great season. I know it's still so early. Do you see both of those guys as the front runners for MVP in the NL? Yeah, the NL is a fascinating case. You know, you can actually you know throw in the two St. Louis guys. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, he might have been the best uh, May of anybody. He was uh, ridiculous what he hit. You know, he hit like 430 or 440. Uh, a lot of power, not as many homers as Mookie Betts. I think he hit like 10, though. Uh, and Arenado's having a great year. So, yeah, I throw those two guys in the MVP mix it, uh, as well. So, yeah, it should be, uh, it should be fascinating. I mean, things, you know, changed so much. But, yeah, I mean, Mookie Betts has been so consistent. He's still been that guy. And, uh, you know, and here, you know, Arenado and Goldschmidt, you know, they got both those guys in trades because they, uh, the teams, you know, one guy wanted out. Uh, Goldschmidt, you know, wasn't going to sign the contract the Dimebacks were offering. And so, you know, for them, it's like, wow, what a, uh, you know, that first, first third base duo has got to be the best in baseball. Bob, thank you as usual for joining the show. We love talking Major League Baseball with you. We look forward to doing it again later on this season. All right, my pleasure. Thank you, Gary. All right, thank you. Bob Nightingale from USA Today Sports. He's a columnist there joining us on ESPN Honolulu. A lot of interesting storylines in MLB. And, of course, we will continue to follow them with the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu. Yeah, where, where fantasy football is a big topic in Major League Baseball. How's that? Unbelievable huh? story. Oh, I wanted to give a shout-out. I forgot. I was supposed to give a shout-out at 3.05 today. I hope my new friends Jessica Togo and Jason Oka from Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I hope they're listening. Are you guys listening? Jessica? Jason? Okay. Oh, that was Jason, I think. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Jason Oka, tell him you heard his shout-out on the radio when you run into him in Enterprise, okay? So you're an hour and 45 minutes late. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Shout out, Chris Sabarbaro. We went to Panya for lunch today. Is it Panya Bakery? Is that what it's called? Panya Bakery? I think it is. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. I've only eaten there once, a long time ago. Mm. 
Say, so we do have the NBA this, finals starting Yes. Tomorrow. You know, uh-huh. and there's been so many. So it's like a Super Bowl in a way, especially with time off between Golden State's last game and tomorrow. And, you know, you get the hype. But I, I was thinking about this because everybody's breaking it down. Okay, the Splash Brothers, Curry and Clay against Jalen Brown and Tatum, who has a better duo and all that. I think an X factor in the series, and I did ask Eric Pincus this yesterday. He came up with Robert Williams of Boston. I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. I think a real key, I, I think Golden State is going to win. I'm not guaranteeing it. I, I think Celtics could win. It wouldn't be a surprise. But this player, I think, could be a real difference maker. And I know the guys I just mentioned are great on each team. But Kayvon Looney, Kayvon Looney, Kayvon Looney, he had 18 rebounds one game against Dallas. He had 14 in another. He had, like, I think seven offensive rebounds. This guy is a guy, they're not running plays for Looney. They're not. But with his size and the way he's fitting in now, he, 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 and as Steve Kerr explained, he's really good at knowing the angles when the shots are going to be missed, just like Dennis Rodman. He gets a ton of rebounds, gets offensive rebounds, and, oh, yes, he's a rim protector. And he, he, in one of the games against Dallas, he had, like, I think 20 points and, like, 16 rebounds. He's not going to give you 20 right. every night, but he's going to give you 12 to 14 right, okay. rebounds. Okay, that's and, against Dallas, who, who doesn't have a big man. Against Miami, against, wait, who was the other team they played? They played Memphis and Denver before. Okay, against Dallas, yeah, because Dallas doesn't really have a true center. So now that you're playing against Robert Williams, I don't know if he has the same success. Well, I think he could, and one of the reasons, I love Robert Williams, partly Texas A&M, and he's really starting to get his, 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 get in sync with the NBA where he was just a, another role player on the bench for two, three years, is that he had the sore knee. You know, he only had, I think, two points and two rebounds in game seven on Sunday. Uh, He's not 100%. So I'm assuming Ah. he's going to play, but if he's not 100%, he's not going to be able to give you 25, 30 minutes or so. And Kevon Looney is healthy. I think that could be a real difference maker. You saw Robert Williams alter the shots of Bam Adebayo a lot in that series with Miami. Uh, again, Looney's not going to get any calls, uh, play calls for him, but picking up the garbage baskets, whatever it is, is all a bonus. But his rebounding and defense, I think, can't be stated enough and how important that's been. A lot of times for Golden State, and you remember this, Andrew Bogut, they've had JaVale McGee and some others, their centers start and hardly play after that. It's kind of like other teams have done similar things in the NBA as well. Right. But Looney's a little different now. He was kind of in that mold as, mold as well, where you just play a little. At the end of the game, you're going to go with three guards, probably Jordan Poole, Draymond, and Wigan. But now Looney gives you so much more, they're not going to go away from that. I, I think that's a real big key factor. And, again, Robert Williams is such a giant that just by his presence alone he's going to alter shots. But if he's not 100% and can't give you full-time minutes, Daniel Thies is not the answer. He's hardly playing anymore. Thies. Thies. He, he's he's Tice. highly Tice. Tice. Okay. Watch a basketball game once in a while, Dickman. Come on. I'm, I'm busy filling in on all the golf stuff that you need to learn. Anyway, also they're supposed to be getting Andre Iguodala and Gary Payton uh, the second coming back. Not definitely. Gary. It's Gary. <laughs> Gary Payton. Gary Payton. Sorry. <laughs> Though I mean Payton had a good series against Memphis before he got hurt. Andre Iguodala former MVP. He's a lot older now. He's still effective. If you get those players back and with what Looney gives, and everybody's talking about all the stars on each team, nobody's talking about Looney. And again, with his rebounding, that could be a real difference maker there. Golden State wasn't shooting the ball that well from three-point land, especially Curry uh, percentage. Clay has. I think Looney's a big factor. Okay. 
So if um, Bobby Williams, Robert Williams, Bobby, I don't know why I'm calling him <laughs> Bobby Williams, Robert Williams, um, if he's not playing, is it Tice who's getting the playing time? I don't remember seeing – I remember seeing Tice on the bench a lot. He didn't play in the last game or two, and I think he had some kind of an injury. So if you don't have Robert Williams – So they're they, playing Al Horford as center. Yes, yes. He'll move from the four to the so five. So if you have Al Horford as center – and he's listed at 6'9". Wow, he makes $27 million a year. Anyway, Al Horford, uh, is, is Looney going to have the same success, especially the way that Al Horford is playing? Because you talk about angles, right, to get those rebounds. You talk about stuff. Al Horford knows all of that stuff. Al Horford does all the stuff that you don't – all the successful stuff that don't come up on your stat book. So you got a really experienced, smart player who is hot in Al Horford. Do you really want to say Kevon Louie is the Louis Louis is the X he's Chinese is the X factor? Do you want to stick with that? Because we're gonna hold you to it. We're gonna hold you to it, Dickman. I think he could be. I mean, I don't think there's any way to guarantee how this series oh, will play out. Oh back up on that fence. Uh, I, I, he, he could be. Yeah, I'm not going to be stupid and say I want you to commit to somebody. Go- I'm, I'm, no, you commit to an X Factor. I'll commit to an X Factor. I'm commi- okay, I'm and committing we'll play- to it. Okay. But then if you're going to pick Thank one, you. don't pick Jason Tatum and try to be smart. I'm not. I'm picking Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the stars gotta, are going to do what they I got, do. I got an X Factor. I would, you know what I would do because somebody else gave this on Sports Center, Sports Nation, Sports something, some show on television. I think it was Sports Center, or maybe it was uh, what's that one that Max Kellerman's on? It's like they're paying him really a lot of money, so he has to do more than just radio. Um, this this ju- just in. Yes, just in. Yeah. This just in with um, what's his name? Tattoo guy. Tattoo J- guy. Three point. JJ Redick. Okay. See, I have to talk my way through these. Two. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, Okay, so one of them, I don't know, somebody said an X Factor was Clay Thompson. And I thought, really? Clay Thompson, an X Factor? I bet it was Kellerman. And, in fact, they it might not have been them, it might have been somebody else. But it, there was, you know, you're talking, they were talking about the top five players in this uh, finals, the five most important players. And you know what? Just for fun, folks, do this at 808-296-1420. I want you to text it in. Gary, whilst Keegan is doing Sports Center, you text in your five most important players, and I'll do my five most important players. But on somebody's five most important players, Clay Thompson was not on it. That's crazy. I, that is cray-cray. That's totally cray-cray. So come up with your five most Easy. important players at 808-296-1420. We'll do over that coming up next. Hey, hey. I'm Chris Hart. I'm Gary Dickman. It's Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. And somebody sent in a text, and my thing is malfunctioning. Uh, but we'll get to the text. Thing malfunctions. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, call Charles Arakaki. Call... Ohana Men's Clinic. What's up, Dr. Arakaki? It's Chris Hart and Gary Dickman, the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu. It's kind of a fun exercise, or it might be kind of a stupid exercise, depending on, you know, 
what side of the bed you woke up on today. <laughs> Who are the most important five most important players in the NBA Finals? Reminder, broadcast starts tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Catch it on your way home on ESPN Honolulu. Let's start with yours. And mine I kind of whipped together. But what do you say going from five to number one? Five, number one being the most important player, meaning it, I guess most important for this player to be good for his team's well, success yeah. in the NBA Finals. To win a world it's, championship, who's number five on GD's list? Well, I mentioned him a couple of minutes ago in detail, Kavon Looney, number five. I, I really think he's going to be a difference maker. And even if he's just an average Kavon Looney, which is what he did maybe in the regular season a lot, he might not make a difference. But if he's playing like he did in these all, all these playoff rounds, and he just really improved a lot this year. He's also one of, like, I think only four players in the NBA to play every game this season, which doesn't wow. mean a lot, but maybe it means something. I have him at number five, and in descending order, I have Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, he's becoming such an unstoppable player, but more so than he was on offense. Still a great defensive player. He can make some clutch shots. He's obviously important to Boston's success. So in order, Jalen Brown. Clay Thompson is number three. Enough said. He had his best game in a long time in game six against Dallas uh, a week ago with those seven threes that he had, and I think it was 32 points to win the West. Number two, Jason Tatum. I know Jalen Brown and Tatum might have been able to go either way. It kind of switched him around. I think Jason Tatum, for his defense, even though Jalen Brown's a defender, I think Jason Tatum's probably going to be matched on Wiggins. And Wiggins could be a guy that I could have put on this list as well instead of Looney, but I didn't. But I think Tatum's defense and his ability to score from out, out behind the three-point line, taking it to the basket, he's pretty unstoppable too, even though he's not – Really fast, like maybe a James Harden or a quick, but he's strong, has good balance, and he's going to draw a lot of attention, meaning fouls. The reason I have Steph Curry at number one, I feel any of these games are close. He's the guy, out of all those guys I mentioned, Clay, Tatum, Brown, anybody else, he's the guy who's going to make those shots to have Golden State win. I trust him in the last seconds of a game more than anybody else. Even more than Clay, who had a great success, as I mentioned. Steph Curry is the guy. Maybe he has something to prove. According to many people around the country, he has to cement his legacy as the top ten of all time. He has to be finals MVP, which I don't buy. He maybe wants that just to have that added to his resume. I'm sure that's not his priority. But Steph Curry, people shouldn't just assume that he's just going to give you so much or take him for granted. He's still the greatest three-point shooter this game has ever seen, and he can win a game on his own, and I think he'll make that much of a difference for Golden State. All right. Here in my uh, top five, I have Jalen Brown at number five. And Jalen Brown is such – you know, we're really talking about a battle of two big twos, right? You know, I'm a big three. I, I'm not – I'm including – I don't count – Draymond Green really is a big three. No. I, 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 You know, really good player. I mean, he's the foundation of the team in their defense. But it's really Clay and Steph against Tatum and Brown, right? For the most part, yeah. Tatum and Brown, Clay and Steph, the Splash Brothers, those are your big twos. That's your Jordan and Pippen, right? Yeah. That's your that's your magic and worthy. These um, – so I have Jalen Brown at number five if because if he doesn't have a great game – and when is he not? I mean, he's been clutch on offense and defense. But if he doesn't have a great game, you've still got enough role players, somebody like Derek White who might come out of nowhere, somebody like uh, Marcus Smart who will make a clutch three-point shot, right? 
So yeah. Jalen Brown, very important. Out of all the players, he's number five. So don't look at it, he's not important because he's number five on my list. At number four, I'm going out on a limb. And I'm putting Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole? Jordan Poole. Because in the, this Boston Celtic team, every man plays great defense. Every man makes it a point this whole season. They've committed themselves to win a championship by winning by winning with great defense. And you see that attitude on the court. Jordan Poole is one of those guys who can slash the basket pretty easily. He's what Tyler Hero was before Tyler Hero got hurt. I really like if Jordan Poole is going to go out, he can go out there and give you 25 points a game if he's out on the court long enough. So I think Jordan Poole is very important to play good, even though he's a, I hate to use the word role, role player, because on a number of other teams, he would be a starter. Yeah. Jordan Poole is remind he's like a Tyler Hero. He's he could be easily be if he keeps us up six man of the year. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean and uh, Draymond Green was upset that he didn't even get bad or most improved player from what he <laughs> said. But it was more the playoffs where he really started to shine more than the regular season. But sure for what you said, definitely agree. Okay, at number three I've got a tie. I've got Clay Thompson and Steph Curry at number three. Both of these, Clay, Clay Thompson has been, he's been good and he's been bad. He's been inconsistent since he came back from injury. When he's good, oh, he's really good. Steph Curry, Steph has been, Stephon Curry has been, uh, he's, had, he had not, he's had some games in the playoffs where he was not great. And they still won. So I'm saying either or. If both of these guys are bad in a game, easy loss. If one of them's good, one of them's bad, they can still they can still beat Boston in my mind. At number 2, I've got Draymond Green. And it's very important for Draymond Green to play the defense that he's been talking about on his podcast. <laughs> it's very important because if Draymond Green steps it up where he's a menace to Boston. Maybe he's even he's getting inside your head, right? He's doing some trash talking. He's stepping on your feet. He's doing the stuff that Draymond Green can do. And maybe that gets on the nerves of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or somebody. Remember, there's a lot of there's there's a couple of really young superstars, young starters on this team where it's gonna throw them off. If he somehow is matched up, I don't know who they would match him up with. You do, but if he's matched up and he starts frustrating somebody like Marcus Smart, who tends to lose his temper sometimes, actually they both do. They're probably going both at it. But I think cover Tatum. Probably Tatum. Okay, if he can frustrate Tatum a little bit, well then that's why you need your Jalen Brown, right? Yeah. So if he frustrates Tatum into not being Tatum, then that is huge for the Golden State Warriors. So I got Draymond Green playing well as the number two most important thing in this series. And then I have Tatum at number one. Tatum is going from, just to steal what everyone else is saying, we are witnessing a superstar in the makings. We really are. He's a star player. And especially if the Boston Celtics win this championship, he will be at superstar status. How many superstars are there in the NBA? Giannis Antetokounmpo is a superstar. Steph Curry is a superstar. 
LeBron James is a superstar. I think Al, I think, uh, uh, oh, gosh, the other, uh, other guy on the Lakers. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is a star. Anthony Davis is not a superstar. I agree with that. I agree with that. Giannis is a superstar. Did I say Giannis already? Yeah. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is still a superstar. Kyrie Irving, like it or not, when he plays, is a superstar. Joel Embiid. Even... No. To me, Embiid is a star. Ooh. He can be an MVP. That's just my opinion. Okay. okay. He's a star. <laughs> He's a star. But Tatum is becoming a superstar. Where was this guy three years ago? Nobody talked about Jason Tatum. That's why it's amazing what good coaching can do for you. Well, he was good then, but, I mean, going this far in the playoffs, and he's better now. He's definitely better now. He played great defense against Durant in that first round. Right, and he's Biff. Now, a few years ago, they didn't have Al Horford. When did he get traded to Boston? Three years ago? um, Two years ago? I think it was three because he went to Philadelphia in that free agent class when Durant and Kyrie signed with the Nets. Harford signed with Philadelphia that day. Only mm-hmm. lasted a year. So I think he was with Boston like three years ago. Probably, okay. Right before so, the bubble. Now, and he's been with Jalen Brown. It's almost yeah. like these two guys have kind of grown together into this Jordan Pippen type of deal. It's just, it's, it, it, this is what's great about sports, right? Yeah. Love those kind of stories. Mm-hmm. I, I like your list. I think, you know, I could put Andrew Wiggins in there as well. He, you know, people forget yeah. he was the number one draft pick overall. He got traded for Kevin Love before he played for Cleveland. And he hasn't had a great much great level of success in any year. This nope. year he made the all-star team, even though that was a really bad move because there was some Korean pop band that had all their fans vote for him. And that's and he got double votes that day, and that's how he made what? the all-star team. Yeah, it was one of those Korean, is it K-pop band or whatever, and they went out on social media. Are you talking talk- about BTS? I forget which one. It might have been them. I thought it was a K-pop band, if that's the name of the K-pop, group. Is K-pop the the is, is like pop music. Okay. But there's one group. It might have been BTS. They, they told all their fans to vote for him online. You got double votes that day. And that's kind of how he made the all-star team. Still, he's a good player, and people forget how great he was. He played with Embiid in college at Kansas. And, again, he just was on a bad team in Minnesota. Now he's on Golden State with all that help, and he's starting to shine. I mean, he had one of the best dunks I've ever seen. He played really good defense against Doncic for the most part in that series as well. So Andrew Wiggins, I think, could be on my list. If I'm going to put maybe a tie with Looney, I could do that. But people shouldn't forget about him either. Why would BTS – why why is it like hey vote for Andrew Wiggins? They're, One of the guys is an Andrew Wiggins fan. I I, I remember looking it up and getting That's the whole funny. story. This was back in January when this took place. There's some kind of a, I think maybe the management was working with each other. I forget exactly what it was or something with Golden <laughs> State, but they told their fans to vote for him. And I mean wow. Andrew Wiggins is good. He shouldn't have made the All Star team as a star. He made it as a starter. And yeah. He, he wasn't that good. It was the the votes voting was a little rigged. Yeah, so, but still I mean, a good player. how can Andrew Wiggins be a starter on the all-star team and Devin Booker or Draymond Green? Or, well, Devin Booker's not. Carl Anthony Towns right. could, could be a starter. You could make an argument for someone like Zach Levine or even Rudy Gobert for his defense, right? Well, yeah, Zach Levine's in the East, but, yeah, Gobert was another one, yeah. So, 
I mean, but he, but he is a good player, and he's really starting to shine now. You saw what he did in the last couple of rounds. He could be a real difference maker for them, and he could be an all-star at some point in his career anyway, so that's not a surprise. It was just surprising how he made it with the voting oh, and I'm everything. Look, I'm looking at uh, 2022 All-Stars. This is the 2022 All-Star roster. So, oh, I see. This is Team LeBron and Team Durant. So yeah. did they pick? Yeah, they picked. Did players. I miss something? I was away. Well, they they after the voting was done by the fans and the media and the players right, and right, everything. Right. Then after you get those twenty four players or whatever, then LeBron and I guess Giannis would would alternate picks to pick their roster. LeBron and Durant, KD LeBron, was LeBron, the other. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so okay, so who do you think better? So we got to go to a break. I'm sidebar here. Okay, who's a better team? KD, Embiid, Ja, Tatum. Wiggins and Trey Young. The other team is Jokic, DeMar DeRozan. What a great year. Steph Curry, Giannis, and LeBron. Did I say LeBron twice? Why is he on there twice? That's tough. But the group, is, by the way, is Bam Bam. That's the name of the K-pop band. Um, Bam you know, Bam. on paper, those teams look so great. It's hard to really – and I don't even remember who won, of course – but they all had great players. That's the thing about the All-Star game now. There's so many great players. There's a lot of great players that don't make the All-Star team because there's so many stars in the NBA. There's not a bad player on the, either team there or an average yeah. player. They're hey, all Fre- well-deserving. Freddie Van Fleet is uh, is an All-Star backup. That's right. They had a so, good year without Lowry there. I, he started taking over more. I think Chris Paul is on here just out of uh, sentimental reasons. But, okay, what about these guys like DeJounte Murray? Who's that? He's out of Washington, plays for the Spurs. He's just kind of unknown because they've been a pretty bad team, which you liked the last few years. But he really started coming into his own, I think, even more this year, okay. maybe last year. Good score, very good score. Okay, who's Darius Garland? He's from Cleveland. He's on the Cleveland Cavs, and he's from Van- yeah. Arkansas, excuse me. He came into his own as well because he wasn't even the starting point guard. They had Colin Sexton out for the year, Ricky Rubio out for the year. So then they put Garland in there. as more of a two-guard, but he turned into a pretty good point guard, kind of a combo guard, I guess, but had a very good year this season. All right. Anyway, wow, no Clay Thompson. Yeah, I guess Clay was, was just too just... – yeah, he was hurt for a lot of this year. That's right. Well, he didn't come back until after Christmas. Right. So, I mean, you know, you right. understand him not making it a month later. Yeah, okay. Man, uh, Luka Doncic, though, not a first-teamer, huh? Was he a first-teamer? I think he was. For the NBA All-Pro all team, you mean? All yeah. NBA? All I'm pretty NBA sure he was. Oh, I'm pretty okay. sure he was, yes, yes. Gotcha. As we were just talking a few minutes ago, the NBA Finals starting tomorrow. Our coverage will start at 2 p.m. here on ESPN Honolulu. We're going to get it broken down for us now by somebody who covers the Boston Celtics and the NBA for Barstool Sports, one of the coolest sites you can see. Great information, great insight. Dan Greenberg back with us on ESPN Honolulu. Dan, I want to start with this. When you go back for the Boston Celtics on January 21st, they were 23-24. and 24. They were in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference. Since then, they've gone 28-7. and seven. The biggest player I can see that they acquired since then, it might be Derek White. How else have they been able to achieve this incredible turnaround? Well, it, it starts with just getting healthy. I think if you looked at the previous year and a half up until that point, they really just, for whether it was COVID or injury, we just never really had a sustained run where the intended roster was actually on the floor. It was right around that mid, mid to late January. Everybody came back 
They had a sustained run of health, and we're seeing, like many of us thought, when they're healthy, they're almost impossible to beat because they can just kill you on both ends of the floor at a high level. But it all, it all starts with them being healthy. That's first and foremost most important. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference before the season started, I know Brooklyn was the Las Vegas favorite. To me, you obviously had Milwaukee, the defending champs, uh, Philadelphia, even though no Ben Simmons. You had uh, eventually James Harden. You always had Embiid. I don't think a lot of people were thinking about Boston going this far, and especially with a rookie head coach, which if I'm not mistaken, I, I haven't researched the entire last 50 years, but the last time a rookie head coach that I can remember went to the finals was maybe Paul Westhead with the Lakers. This is incredible what Boston has been able to achieve. Yeah, so Nick Nurse won it in his first year with the Raptors in 2019. Uh, Ime Udoka is the first head co- first year head coach to win two Game 7s. So even wow. though it's been done before, it's still what we're seeing is, is pretty unique. And I think they sort of embrace that underdog mentality to, to start the year of, you know, nobody really thinks we can do it, nobody's really talking about us. And, you know, they underachieved through the first, 30, 40 games, but once they all just accepted the right way to play, they made the moves of the deadline to bring in players that fit a style of basketball that proved to be successful, they've just taken off. And I think it starts with the buy-in from the coach and sort of his hard mentality where he's almost the opposite of Brad Stevens in terms of his personality, how he'll sort of get on guys and be vocal about it. It's just all come, you know, combined into this perfect storm of here we are tomorrow in the NBA Finals for the first time in 12 years. And I know Ime Udoka was the def- kind of the defensive coordinator for the Brooklyn Nets last year. Mike D'Antoni was kind of the offensive coordinator. What has he, what, how has he been able to achieve the improvement defensively where they're basically the best defensive team in the NBA right now? Yeah, so it starts with their, their switch-everything scheme. I think when you looked at previous Celtic rosters, there was always that one weak link player within the starting five that teams could attack. You couldn't switch every position. Normally it was, you know, a a smaller type point guard, whether it was Isaiah Thomas or Kyrie or Kemba Walker. Well, now you have to try to get by the defensive player of the year in a point guard that's 6'4", 6'5". So their ability to switch, you know, bringing Horford back and he looking like a guy who's 27 years old, not 35, <laughs> that sort of seamless switching, it just makes them impossible to attack because there's no weak link in their defense. You can say, okay, I don't want to attack Marcus Smart, so I'm going to go after who? Jason Tatum? Like, I don't think that's a good idea. So it's, just, it's a combination of Ime's scheme, but then the roster that Brad built is conducive to that scheme, and it's, it's clicking on all cylinders. We're talking the NBA Finals and Boston Celtics with Dan Greenberg from Barstool Sports, who you can follow on Twitter at Stool Greeny. Definitely check him out there as he's here with us on ESPN Honolulu. You know, Al Horford is an interesting story. I mean, he was an all-star with Atlanta years ago. I thought he did a good job the first time around with uh, the Celtics. When he went to Philadelphia, it was just a bad chemistry. He didn't play well with Embiid. Goes to Oklahoma City where they just told him to stay home. It seems like it's almost like a resurgence for him, especially in these playoffs with what he's been able to do for the Celtics yeah and I and I can't lie you know it makes me very emotional to watch him succeed like this I think you know being in the league 15 years never making to a finals he has just come refreshed and re-energized and 
he just is playing a style of basketball where everybody on the team just wants to win for him, right? He's always making the right play. He's dunking on Giannis one minute and making huge threes the next. You never hear him complain. He's always professional. And if you listen to Jalen Brown after they won game seven, you could hear how just happy he was to have Al experience an NBA Finals. And they have this sort of win-it-for-Al mentality, but at the same time, they don't get there. You know, he's not a, a passenger. Al Horford is just as important to this playoff run as any player on the roster. And it's just for a guy who has waited so long to get to this stage, I'm just I'm praying he has a big final. Yeah, I would love to see that as well. Earlier on Twitter today, you tweeted for an article out of Sports Center saying this feels like a trap. And when I saw these numbers, I, I can't explain it because ESPN's Basketball Power Index, the BPI, has the Boston Celtics having an 86% chance to win where Golden State is only 14. Boston, I mean, if Golden State has home court, which will mean something, maybe not a whole lot. How, how do you explain those numbers? I would never have thought it would have come to 86 over 14. Yeah, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a math guy by any <laughs> means, but that, that just does not seem – you know, I, I drink the Kool-Aid like anybody else, but an 86-14 split is uh, is a little aggressive, I would think. But listen, they've been, however these analytics people or models, they've been preaching the Celtics as, you know, legit finals contenders all season. I'm just very superstitious, and the last thing I want to do is motivate Steph Curry. He's arguably <laughs> the most terrifying player on the planet. So... If they could just not show that tweet or story to to the Warriors before tomorrow, that'd be great. But listen, until they get eliminated, the the nerds and the analytics have been right because here they are in the finals. But 86% is a little aggressive. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, in the last series for Golden State, they actually employed, I don't know if I've ever seen in the NBA, but a box and one on Doncic. Do the Celtics anticipate maybe putting Draymond on Tate and maybe doing a similar kind of defense? So I think you'll see everything. You know, what makes the Warriors so tough is they're just so smart, right? Steve Kerr knows what he's doing. Draymond Green and how he sort of orchestrates their defense is an elite-level defender. I think you'll see some boxing one because that was obviously successful against the Mavs, but I really think you'll see constant ball pressure. They'll look at what the Bucks did and the Heat did and had success with. You know, we saw towards the end of Game 7, if you trap Jason Tatum, you can live with someone like Smart or Grant Williams or some of the other secondary players beating you from the outside. I think, you know, they're not going to show Tatum the same defense twice. They're going to switch it up and, and force him to make the right decision, and they're going to have to prove that they can handle that. They're going to have to prove that they can play under pressure when things aren't going their way, when the crowd is going nuts, when Steph is hitting threes. As long as they can just take a breath and execute on both ends of the floor, I think they have a chance. Hey, last question for you, Dan, and thanks again for joining us. We were talking earlier maybe about some X factors in the series. We know all about all the stars and the superstars. I was mentioning Kevon Looney of Golden State, especially with what he did against Dallas, and Robert Williams has been very impressive when he's on the court, which has been limited because of his sore knee. Can you give us an update on Robert Williams and what do you think of that matchup? Yeah, so Ime said, you know, he's day-to-day. He's going to be day-to-day the rest of the finals. I think if you were to ask any Celtic fan, we, we spend half our day just praying that, that, that his knee holds up. Um, for me, it's, it's Marcus Smart, right? Because not only is he going to be tasked with 
sticking to Steph Curry, but this team is at its best when he plays at a high level on both ends of the floor. When he's not necessarily, you know, not shooting, but when he's making the right play, when he's making the the smart basketball decision and and playing within himself and not trying to just take things over and, and sort of force things offensively. I think if they get the best version of Marcus Smart, that solves pretty much two of their main issues, which is, you know, effective ball movement on one end and then limiting Steph Curry on the other. Easier said than done. Well, we'll find out the answer to that starting tomorrow. Dan, thanks for giving us some insight from the Boston Celtics perspective. We'll look forward to an exciting finals. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Dan Greenberg from Barstool Sports. And that topic I was mentioning, think about that again. ESPN's Basketball Power Index, and the computers, all the analytics, has the Celtics winning 86% chance to win versus 14 for the Warriors. I don't know how they come up with that. Golden State has home court, and even without that, Boston, I don't think, could ever be considered that much better than Golden State. But according to the computers at ESPN, they are. Man, I, I don't know. Do they replay this? Can you see this on on uh, uh, on YouTube or something? But they played the match today. And you remember before it was like the last time they had the match golf tournament. Bryson DeChambeau and Phil Mickelson played against. No, it was Tom, it was Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau. Before that, it was like, who was playing? Wasn't Tiger anyway, in one of them? Yeah, Tiger was. But um, and th- they had one with just quarterbacks today, yep. which is kind of funny. What if they had a? What if they had a golf? Uh, what they have quarterbacks playing golf? What if they had golfers playing football? You don't see that. <laughs> that would right? be, be must see TV. It will be replayed at seven thirty tonight. By the way, on TNT. Ah, thank you. TNT, what channel is that? 1553? Yes, yes. No, it is? Okay. So, anyway, uh, so Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers faced off today against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Um, And from what you're saying, so so Brady and Rodgers won? Yeah, yes. And Aaron Rodgers hit a birdie on the last hole. That won the match for those two, yes. Wow, it was that close, huh? Apparently so, yes, yes, yeah. Now, if you're upset and you're saying, well, I was going to watch it tonight at 7.30, it's not really, you know, who's going to win. That's not why you watch. Right, You right. watch this for the great trash talking. This is trash talking by not only the quarterbacks playing in the match, but it's Charles Barkley trash talking and cutting down everybody known to man during the broadcast. Right. I mean, okay, it's it's – you know what? If you DVR it, if you can't watch it at 7:30, otherwise I'm sure it, everything's on YouTube. But yeah. anyway, there was. Um, let's see. Tom Brady is a great trash talker, by the way. Um, and I'm trying to some, find something that that Charles Bar. Oh, here it is. Okay, Charles Barkley, and you can catch some of these quotes at ESPN.com. So Charles Barkley is he's taking shots at everybody. He took shots at all of the quarterbacks in the match. Uh, he just said something. He trash-talked J.J. Watt for some reason. And then um, Trevor Immelman said that, because I guess they're play, are they playing in Las Vegas. Is that yes. where this is? Yeah, I think. So the they're playing court. in Las Vegas. And Trevor Immelman, based off of what, <laughs> what Draymond Green said on his podcast about 
um, Steph Curry being double teamed 7% more time, whatever. He goes, Trevor Immelman says, the ball travels 7% farther in Las Vegas. And then uh, Barkley started slamming Trevor Immelman, the commentator, <laughs> during the thing. And then, as uh, okay, so Patrick Mahomes hit a par three, his tee shot. It landed seven feet six inches away from the pin. And Ernie Johnson says, oh, it's about a Shaquille O'Neal size length from the pin. <laughs> and she says that because they all work together, right? And then Charles Barkley goes, <laughs> he goes, that's one good thing about doing golf, man. I don't have to be around that idiot. It's more beautiful when Shaq's not here. My life is way more beautiful when he's not around. <laughs> Love Barkley. Oh, there's, yeah. And then even like um, Jared Allen, like it's like uh, Josh Tom Allen? Brady hits Josh Allen. Yeah, sorry, Jared Allen, different player. Josh Allen. So um, Tom Brady hits a shot. He chunks one. He goes, "That's something like that's chunky, just like Josh Allen." And then Josh Allen. Is they showed a picture of the golf balls he's playing with. They're specially made golf balls with Tom Brady's shirtless NFL draft photo. <laughs> so, you know, you take off your shirt and they're measuring you and doing all yeah. that. He has a photo of Tom Brady without his shirt on his golf ball. <laughs> I mean, these guys have made trash talking. They've brought it to an all-new level. Who cares about the golf? Right. It's pure, pure comedy. I'd love to hear it for Barkley. I heard where also Patrick Mahomes, I guess, right when they were about to start today, said talking about Aaron Rodgers. Goes, that's why you're not at OTAs. He's just not at OTAs so he can just practice his golf all day long, and that's how he became good at golf, by skipping them every year. <laughs> but Barkley Tom is Bra great at that. But you know what? Tom Brady, I think, Tom Brady is the um, – he's he, – was, he was so stiff. And so vanilla when he played for the Patriots. America didn't get to see Tom Brady's true personality. And now I just wish that Gronk would play golf. Because you imagine you've got Gronk and Brady playing together. He was with them yesterday when they were practicing, and he was making some uh, comments as far as trash talking. Gronk was there. Oh, that's great. The um, Let's see. Tom Brady says, I will come prepared as I always do to do everything. You know, it's different. Golf trash talk is a little different than pro football it's not trash talk there's it's something that starts with an s <laughs> and he says usually pro football's trash talk is you usually have to back that up josh really hasn't backed up much on the football field in his career <laughs> let's be honest especially against playing against me <laughs> great line oh man anyway check it out 7 30 tonight on tnt All right, coming up 10 minutes from now, Sports Cards and Collectibles Show with Darren Kimura. And I, I bet you can't guess, Gary. Uh, now, I know Darren will know this, but I can't. I bet you can't guess the top five most valuable uh, trading cards of all time. You mean baseball or overall? Overall sports cards. Well, Honest Wagner is one. Babe Ruth would be another. No, you're wrong. Why are you talking so confidently when you're wrong? Because Wagner one just sold for like four million or whatever a couple of months no, ago. No, wrong, 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 wrongo. I don't know about that. Okay, number five, it's a Patrick Mahomes 2017 National Treasures Platinum card worth four point three million dollars. Now Kimura's sitting in the studio and he's nodding his head. He's all, "Yeah, Chris, you go. I knew that." Number four, most valuable card in the world, according to Sports Collector's Digest. 
It's worth $4.6 million. Luka Doncic, 2018-19 Panini National Treasures Logo Man Rookie Patch Auto, whatever that is. Oh, <laughs> autographed. Huh? Luka, already one of the top five most valuable cards. There's a tie at number two, $5.2 million. LeBron James, 2003-04 Exquisite Collection Rookie Parallel something. And that's tied... It's like, where's all the baseball guys? And that is tied with a 1952 Mickey Mantle Tops card. All rookies, I believe. Mint condition. Is that when he started in 52? I, I think it was 51 or 2, so it sounds like it would be his rookie card. That was your first ball game you went as a teenager? <laughs> yeah, second. <laughs> and then the number one uh, most valuable card, Honest Wagner. It's a 1909 Sweet Caparol T2000, 206, well, anyway. I got it six, right. 6.6 6 million, though. Oh, 6.6 million dollars. Well, inflation, right? Anyway, Sports Card and Collectibles Show with Darren Kimura. That is coming up here on ESPN Honolulu. We were talking about baseball earlier, right? And I mentioned that, um, you know, fantasy football has been a real negative <laughs> in baseball, right? So you know where I'm getting, right? Yeah. You're yeah. going to, right? So. Yeah. I guess Jock P. I guess a bunch of Major League Baseball players, they play in a fantasy football league. Bob Nightingale said he thinks every Major League Baseball player plays fantasy football, which surprised mm. me a little. So there's, I guess, one league. Um, Mike Trout was the, he was the commissioner. And the other day, I guess there was some kind of argument between Tommy, uh, Reds outfielder Tommy Pham and Giants uh, Jock Peterson. Yes, going back to last September. Oh, I didn't know Jock Peterson plays for the Giants now. That's cool. He had three anyway. homers in one game last week against the Mets. Wow, so why is he in such a bad mood? Anyway, wait, who slapped who? Fam slapped Jock Peterson for a group text where he put, like, the three teams that Fam played for, and under the Padres, who he was playing with at the time, they were getting crushed, like a meme where the Padre player was getting crushed. He didn't like that and sent a text back saying, I don't know you well enough for you to joke like that with me. That was what oh. kind of started it. And he, he supposedly Jock Peterson made a move where he put a player on IR, and he took somebody else off waivers, and that helped him win money. Bob Nightingale said he heard it was 10000 buy-in for every player in this league. I thought I heard wow. it might have been more, but still a good amount of money. And Pham thought it was an illegal move. So they argued about that. Right. Um, then you have Jock Peterson sending that meme text, and I guess he waited till he saw him in person. This video of him Saturday before the fans were there, he walked up to him in the outfield with warm-up and just slapped him across the face. <laughs> There's a, too much Will Smith going on in the world, isn't there? Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, he got a three-game suspension. Peterson just kind of walked away, and, it, and people started to break it up before anything else happened. But over fan, when, you, when you heard it happen, you thought I thought it was something else that went on during a baseball game. The last thing anybody thought initially that it was about fantasy football. Yeah. So Fam slaps Peterson. Yes. Yes. And then Peterson commented as he was walking away. I don't know if you saw this. It's not on all the news outlets. He said, you don't know me well enough to slap me in the face. <laughs> that would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so today, so Fam, he's an angry, angry man. Yeah. He told reporters yesterday that Mike Trout was the uh, worst commissioner in fantasy sports. He could have prevented the dispute between these two, but I guess he didn't. 
Some people thought he might have been joking, saying that about uh, Trout, but it sounds like oh. he was serious, too. So I don't know about that, because this is a bizarre situation. And none of these guys, well, not none, but these guys we're talking about weren't on the same baseball team. I don't know how they all joined unless it was the same agent that they had or something, but that is one of the most bizarre stories I've ever heard, to have a fight over fantasy football. Why don't they play fantasy baseball? They're baseball players. This will probably be illegal. Although I shouldn't say that because NFL no, players not play betting. fantasy football. Yeah, you're not you're not betting on you're not betting on the games. Yeah, uh, I don't know why they don't. I mean, football's See, always been so you, popular. If you because if you you can bet on a team to lose, you can bet on your team to lose by you going up and striking out on purpose or dropping a fly ball or something, right? Yeah, you can't affect it fantasy wise. You can go out and, and you can. Well, you, you could. Can, you can perform poorly. But all that's going to do is make you lose the game. Well, not not necessarily. You can hit it. You can, let's say let's say uh, Manny Machado is coming up to the bat, or Jock Peterson. You have your pitcher throw at him. He gets hit. He's out of the game. Now he can't have any offensive stats in that game. So you could oh, affect that. Oh, I guess. Yeah, you're if right. If you really anyway, wanted to. I had heard that some that some of these leagues that these pro players play in, it's like a thirty thousand dollar buy-in. They were talking thirty grand. Winner gets but a lot. But you can win, but the amount of money you can win is huge. Yeah. Interesting that they play for that amount and get that heated over. I don't know if anybody else would ever get that heated. So, uh, Jock Peterson said that Tham did the exact same move with the guy on IR the year before. So, why is he complaining? Anyway, a bunch of babies. Come Pretty on. Pretty much. The, it's, it, it's a different life. It's a totally different life that these people live. Right. All right, we will uh, uh, probably not see you tomorrow. We got NBA basketball game one of the NBA finals start. The broadcast starts two o'clock here on ESPN Honolulu.